Scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 37, verse 23 to 29. Psalms 37, verse 23 to 29. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. Cast, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So we have come, we've come to the end of another year. And tonight at midnight, we will usher in uh, 2018. And for, for many, a new year means a a new beginning. You know, some look at it as a, as a, clean, st- as a clean slate. It's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to um, set new goals uh, and, and perhaps revise new ones or old ones that you, that you didn't perhaps keep this past, this past year. Starting a new year is a, a, is a good thing. But I think we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that a a new year also brings with it new anxieties. 2018 will bring, I'm sure, for many of us, fresh circumstances to worry about. A new year brings worry because most anxieties stem from the unknown. We spend our days consumed trying to to figure out what will happen tomorrow. And we we, we, uh, fail to heed Jesus' instructions to us in Matthew 6 and 34, where he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here Jesus is uh, telling us that we ought not spend our time dwelling and thinking about and contemplating what will happen on tomorrow because there are a couple of reasons why we ought not to do that. Firstly, because he says earlier in Matthew 6 and verse 27 that by by worrying about tomorrow, we can't add not even one hour to our span of life. So why worry? But secondly, there is already enough going on today <laughs> for us to worry about and deal with. <laughs> right? I am sure most of us know that to be true. But despite this instruction not to be anxious for tomorrow, not to worry. We just can't help ourselves. Our thoughts are swirling with questions, 
and concerns. What will happen with my job? Will this relationship I'm in work out? Will, will everything go well with my children? Will I, be, will I be able to make enough money to pay all my bills? Will, will this year be the year I get married? What about my health? Will my health break down this year? Will, will I lose a loved one this year? Will we, will we go to war in 2018? We are, we are often taken up with what could be, and, and, and we often default to worst-case scenarios. That leaves us worried. Worry, worry affects everyone, the, the Christian and the, the non-Christian alike, and all recognize the unhelpfulness of it. Was it not Bobby McFerrin who popularized the song, Don't, don't Worry, be, be Happy? Is it not um, Timon, Timon and, and Pumbaa that we, that we learn Akuna Matata, right? What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of our days. You go to any, if you go to any medical doctor, they will tell you all of the issues that, that come from a life filled with anxiety. It is so serious that there are drugs to help people regulate their anxiety levels. Again, unbelievers recognize the the ills of worry. But, it, but when it comes to Christians, those who are the people of God, it is true that like Bobby McFerrin, the Bible tells us that we ought not to worry, don't, don't worry. But it also asks in a, sudden, in, in a subtle but compelling and convincing way, it asks, why worry? Why worry? For, for the Christian, that is the question, why worry? A cousin who wrote a, a short little stanza of a song several years ago, and it has always stuck with me. And the song says, why should I worry and wonder away? Why should I worry when I can just pray? God is in control. God is in control. Brothers and sisters, that is so true. We can spend hours and hours contemplating the future. We can play out every scenario in our head, wondering what will be filling ourselves with worry. But what we as Christians must always remember is God is in control. So why, why should we worry? Listen, we may, we may be entering into a new year full of anxieties, but the one who sits on the throne is not new. <laughs> He's been there for all eternity, reigning, ruling, and is in complete control. And what we have here in Psalm 
37, God is, he's proclaiming that he is in control, reminding us why worrying for the people of God is a futile exercise. This morning, we're going to look at six stanzas from this, this psalm. But I encourage you, this week, in your quiet time perhaps, and other times, I, I encourage you to spend time in Psalm 37, reading over it. And, and here is the question I want you to ask as you read it. Why? Why should I worry? As many have noted, the Psalm 37 reads much like a proverb. Here's David giving wise words of of how one, how the people of God ought to live. But what we learn in these six stanzas that we're going to look at this morning is that when God is in control, God's people have sure steps, sure provisions, and a sure reward. So, so why, why worry when God's people have Sure steps. I found myself in uh, having the opportunity, uh, some people would call it an opportunity, some people would call it crazy, to walk over a frozen over lake, <laughs> right? And you know with each step, each step, the, it causes some trepidation. You're, you're wondering with every step if you're going to fall through the ice. Taking a step can... On, on, a, on a frozen over lake can be full of anxiety. You know, much of life is made up of anxiety-filled next steps. Lord, where should you have me go next? What, what job should I take? What should I, I major in? Is this the right career path? Show me, Lord, what I should do. These prayers and questions are what you and I have uttered to the Lord. We make plans, we have dreams and expectations of what our life should be, and, and the uncertainty of it all, the, the, fear, the fear of failure, it causes us to worry. Why do we worry? Because we forget that God is in control. Look at the, what the psalmist David says in Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Here's the, here's the confidence that we, we have, brothers and sisters, that, that as we navigate through this life, it is that the God of the universe that, that orders our steps. Here is the reality. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself in life right now, it is the Lord who has brought you there. And wherever the whatever the future holds, it will be the Lord that will get you there. That is what David means here when he says that the steps of the Lord, are, the steps of man are established by the Lord. You, you ever have things all figured out? 
you, you have your, your plans in place. You, you, you've done all the research you've done, looked at all the websites, consulted all of the right people, got the right, right counsel, have all your T's crossed and your, your I's dotted only to have those plans derailed. You thought you were going left and then found out you could only go right. That, that ever happened to you? Guess what? That was the Lord's doing. That, that was the Lord's doing. Proverbs 16 and 9 reminds us of this. The heart of, the, of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Brothers and sisters, to worry about your next steps is to somehow believe that you are in control of your life. But God establishes your steps. So why do we worry? We worry because we think we are going to make a mistake. We, we worry because we think we are going to be out of the will of God and miss what he has for us. But when God establishes your steps, all those anxieties are for not, for God, for God's plans, plans good steps for his people. He, he establishes the way in which we ought to go. Yes, even the ones we think are difficult and, and arduous. God is always ordering your life towards good. There's a there's this verse that we find in, in Exodus that, that might be easy to, to skip over. In all the excitement of the people of Israel right, being released from Egypt or being rescued from Egypt, there is a, a small phrase, small couple of verses that we just might miss. Exodus 13, 17 through 18, the Bible reads, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Do you see that? God always orders his people's steps towards good, even, even uh, diverting us from what we think might be the easier way to go. He always orders our steps, often leading us through what seems not so good. Or he leads us through the path we would not have chosen for ourselves. Ask, ask Joseph what his path was like. Whose journey to good went through the pit, slavery, and prison before he was then crowned the second in command in, in all of Egypt. His path to good went through some difficult steps. 
But if you still want more, ask, ask Jesus, whose journey to glory went through the path of, of mocking and beatings, the cross, and even death. And brothers and sisters, God establishes the steps of man. So why, so why worry? That's the question. Why worry? Keep pressing on. Don't be paralyzed by, by fear and, and anxiety. Are you afraid of falling? Afraid of a misstep? Perhaps you've fallen into sin and worried that the Lord has left you. Listen to what the psalmist says in verse 24 of our text. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. Oh, this is such, this is such confidence. Such confidence. It reminds me of my, my little niece, Mercy. This summer we were um, in Tennessee and we were uh, hiking on a path full of rocks and hills. And, and, and Mercy, she's, she's, she's four and uh, she's adventurous. She's not, she, uh, fearless, ready for every adventure. And she wanted to, to take that path as quickly as she could. She says, Uncle Philip, would you hold my hand? <laughs> could you hold my hand? And I sure did. I grabbed onto Mercy's hand, and she took off. And she was running over the rocks, jumping, and, 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 and she was just running with freedom. Why? Because she knew that Uncle Philip wouldn't let her fall. Mercy could run, could run free because she knew Uncle Philip was there to uphold her and to keep her from falling. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is not going to forsake you. The Lord knows how little our faith is. He, he knows we will make mistakes. That is why he is there to uphold our hand. Ask Peter. Ask Peter what it's like to be upheld by the hand of the Lord. There, there are two instances that, that come to mind in the life of Peter where this is just clearly on display. You remember that time when, when the disciples were in the boat and they saw what seemed like a, a ghost coming to them on the water. And Peter being Peter, who was just anxious, jumps out the boat, and, and all of a sudden he recognizes that he is, he is walking on water. He, he's, his eyes are fixed on his Savior, and he is walking to the Lord. But then Peter looks around him, and he sees the wind, and he sees the waves, and he's just flabbergasted like you and I would be, that he is actually walking on water. And he begins to sink begins to fall. And there is the Lord to grab him and uphold him by his hand. Oh, but then Peter, there was another instance where Peter denied the Lord. And, and Jesus told Peter that it would happen. He told him that, that Peter, you are going to deny me. Peter didn't believe it. Jesus says, but Peter, I have prayed for you. And what did Jesus pray for? That your faith 
would not fail. The, the, the Lord, the Lord upheld Peter. Brothers and sisters, though you fall, the Lord is there to uphold you. But notice something here. Notice something in our text. The man whose steps are established by the Lord is the man who finds the favor of God. Listen, God establishes steps of those who, those who are his. That is the comfort of God's children. That we have a father who is guiding and directing our steps toward, toward good Listen, God is pleased to order the steps of those with whom he is pleased. Sounds like there are stipulations to to God's goodness. Sounds sounds like, like he orders the steps toward good of a particular people. Well, you are hearing rightly. Psalm 37 is describing God's disposition towards two types of people. The wicked and the righteous. We see his displeasure with the wicked and his care for the righteous. We see the peril of the wicked and we see him upholding and his blessing the the righteous. The question you ought to be asking is, with whom do I identify? Am I one whom God calls righteous? Or am I one whom he calls wicked? Am I one with whom he takes delight? Or am I counted among those with whom he is displeased? Well, you can know. You can know this morning by answering one simple question. Where is your faith this morning? In whom do you trust? Hebrews 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What faith is the writer to the Hebrew talking about? It's talking about the faith that one places into Christ. God is pleased to establish those who have placed their faith in Christ. Those who have laid down their weapons. Those who have stopped fighting and and pushing against uh, the the things of God. who Who have turned from their sins and trusted him. This isn't a righteousness that comes from our goodness. There's nothing in us good that that God says, okay, I am going to now bless them. I'm going to call them righteous because within them there is a righteousness that exists. No, brothers and sisters, we receive a righteousness that is outside of us, and that righteousness is Christ. That's how, that's how we are declared righteous and then have our steps ordered by God. When you place your faith there, you can be assured of your 
steps. So why worry? God's people have short steps, but they also enjoy sure provision. Sure provision. You know, it often causes sleepless nights, produces workaholics and hoarders, sometimes gets masked as good stewardship or wisdom. What is it? It's worrying that you won't have enough money to live. In Matthew 6, Jesus really gets to the heart of of our worry and really challenges the futility of it. He says this in Matthew 6 and 26, after addressing the anxious toil and anxiousness that stirs up in all of us, worrying about how or where our next meal is going to come from or, or, or how we're going to be clothed. And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is what Jesus says here. Oh, worrying about provisions demonstrates a lack of faith in God. That is what Jesus is getting at here. Do you really think God would take care of the birds of the air and not care for you? Jesus can't even believe that to be so. His heavenly Father always cares for his children. David confirms that in this text. Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and I have been old. Now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Oh, this here is such an amazing testimony. Here is David. He is an old man, and he is reflecting on his life, and and he cannot, he cannot remember a day. He cannot remember a, a time when the Lord did not provide. Not only that, he he takes inventory of the lives of the saints around him, and he can't recall a time when the Lord forsook them. Oh, this here, brothers and sisters, this here is a plug for being part of a multi-generational community. Listen, I've got uh, an exhortation to, to, to young Uh, people here in this congregation, uh, uh, please, please, please take some time to mosey on up to to an older saint in our congregation. Just sit down and and ask them to recall the, the numerous times that the Lord had provided. Those times when when they thought that they were not going to be able to make it and the Lord came came through during those those times. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you're, you're hearing that and you're saying, well, that's not true for me. You say, you say, God has, has not provided for my needs. Perhaps, perhaps, you, you think, perhaps you think your need, perhaps your needs are more of your wants than they are your needs. God provides for our needs, not so much our 
wants. Oh, brothers and sisters, I just, this, this, is, this is so true. Like, even in my young life, I can recall and think about times in where the Lord provided. Oh, he, he indeed, there were times where he just made a way out of no way. And I know people seem to say that all the time, but brothers and sisters, I know that to be true. And so I have no problem saying that this morning. The Lord made a way out of no way. God provides for his people. But listen, he goes further. David says that not only does God provide for the righteous, he provides for his children as well. He has never seen the children of the righteous begging for bread. Parents, are your your children the source of your worry? Are they the source of it? Do they cause anxiety in your heart? Why, why, Why the Lord provides? Dads, let let me tell you, you can give up the excuse that you are overworking and pursuing financial freedom so you can provide for your children. Guess what? God can provide far better for your children than you can. He's been doing it longer and has a better track record. Now listen, I'm I'm not telling you to quit your job. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't blame that on me. I ain't telling you to do that. <laughs> I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm saying is, trust that the Lord will provide and demonstrate that to your children. Trust that he will provide. God's people can be assured that God will provide their needs And you know what that frees us up to do? To give. That frees you up to give. Psalm 37, 26. He is, speaking of the righteous, ever lending generously. And his children become a blessing. I've seen the generosity of numerous men and women who just give and give and give. And, and what I have found is that they are never worried they won't have anything less. Listen, I, I know it doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world, but in the kingdom, the math works differently. <laughs> I had a generous man tell me once that he, he, he just doesn't understand it. He doesn't, he doesn't know how it works, but the more he gives to people, whether it be his time, his services, his, his money, he never finds himself lacking. This isn't health and wealth teaching, brothers and sisters. This is Bible. Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall give to him freely when speaking of those in, within the community that are poor and within need. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because this, for, for, for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. Um, those 
who are seeking to give generously are those who are proclaiming their confidence in God to provide. I'm always struck by the generosity of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8. It's just, I mean, when you read it, you're just, you're just, you're just, your mind is just blown. It was a community that didn't have much. But listen to what Paul says they did when they heard there was a need. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 through 5. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. And guess what? And beyond their means. Of their own accord. Listen to this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. These saints, because they had entrusted themselves to the hand of God and believed that he would meet their needs and not forsake them, what were they eager to do? They were eager to give, even begging Paul that they might be, uh, have the privilege. They saw it as a privilege to give. Oh, that's, that's not giving begrudgingly, brothers and sisters. That is giving joyously. Um, as parents, again, we ought to take note. I don't know about your children, but I, I think I've realized and recognized that they are always watching us. Always watching. You're all, because we're, we're always, if you didn't know it, you're always setting for them an example in speech and in behavior. Our children, your children see you giving. You know what happens? They themselves become a blessing. They follow the example of their parents. They're, they're, not, they're not spoiled because you've given everything that you have to them, but they've seen you blessing others, and they, set, and they see how the Lord has provided and met your needs, and therefore they then, too, become a blessing to others. God's people need not worry, because God provides. And lastly, we need not worry, Because we, as God's people, have a sure reward. To be a faithful Christian in this world is difficult. Always swimming upstream just gets tiring. It's tiring. It seems like the pull of the world gets stronger and stronger every day. It's easier and it becomes easier and easier to follow the ways of the wicked. That's, that's what the psalmist is getting at here in Psalm 37, that they're looking at the, how the wicked are prospering and they're wondering, is this, why, how is this possible? Is being righteous, is living right in this world something I should even pursue? It has caused many to wonder, is it worth it? Is remaining faithful to the end, really going to pay off. The struggle is real for many. It was real for Demas. And Paul tells us who won that struggle. 
Here's Demas seeing the pull of the, the world and, and, and trying to navigate through it and trying to swim upstream. And, and Paul tells us who won that. 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Perhaps some of you this morning are struggling just like Demas with this very thought, wondering if it will be worth it in the end. Psalm 37 reminds us that it is worth persevering. It is worth swimming upstream and holding on till the end. Psalm 37, verse 27 through 19. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Here, David implores everyone who would listen to turn from evil and to pursue good. And for those who do, there is a fine, a fine reward that awaits. What? What awaits those who turn away from evil? Brothers and sisters, you get a loving father who won't turn away from you. We get a father who, when his children are faithless, he remains faithful. We get a father who, when we lose our grip and we, and we feel like giving in, he is there to uphold us and preserve us to make sure that we finish the race. We, we get a father who we will dwell with forever in a land where worry and anxiety will be no more. Is it worth the struggle? Is it worth swimming upstream? Will it be worth it? Brothers and sisters, it sure will be worth it. You need not worry about being disappointed in the end. I don't know if you've read all of Revelation 21, but it is glorious. John caught a glimpse. And I'm just going to read a small portion of it, but I encourage you to read it all. The end of Revelation 21, 22 through 27, John says, And I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of, the God, of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light will, uh, but its light will the nations walk. By its light the nations will walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You need not worry, brothers and sisters. You need not worry if it'll be worth it in the end. It will be. It'll be more glorious than anything you have ever known on this earth. If you are trusting Christ this morning, in 2018, you need not worry. Your sure steps 
sure provision, and a sure reward. Reward. Why worry? That's the question. Why worry? Unless, of course, you have not trusted Christ. Then you do need to worry. As Psalm 37 says, describes God's disposition towards two types of people, the righteous and the wicked. If you are a not if you are not counted among the righteous, there is only one other choice. <laughs> There's no in-between. There's not a third choice. If you are not among the righteous, then you are counted among the wicked. And therefore, you do not have sure steps. You do not have sure provision. And no reward awaits you. The wicked do not prosper. Therefore, you should be worried. But here's my question to you. Why leave here worried when you can be worry-free? Leave here trusting in Jesus. Repent of your sins and trust that he died on the cross for you. And you can worry no more because we have a heavenly father who assures the steps of his children provides for all of their needs, and for those who trust him, a sure, glorious, and fine reward awaits. Let's pray.